Schrader from Reservoir Church in North County here with us this morning. As many of you know, Jonathan is pastoring the church that sent us out as a plant nine years ago. And while we no longer share the same name as that church, we are so grateful that our connection with one another isn't based on the name of our churches, but on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I always love when we have Jonathan down here to preach to us because I know that we are going to be richly fed as he faithfully proclaims the riches of the glory of Christ. And before he comes to preach for us, Lindsay is going to come read our passage from Galatians 4 this morning. It's in Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Jonathan, thanks for being here with us, bro. Thank you, John. See you. Well, good morning, saints. It's so good to be with you in the best cathedral in the world. Um, reminded uh, of the Lord's goodness. And don't worry, as a bald person preaching in the sun, I have many layers of sunblock on. So I was uh, thinking this week, when was the last time I was with you all and opening the word? And it was March of 2020. I was preaching on uh, politics and trusting in God's providence and sovereignty in the midst of the political division of our day. And the Lord thought we should learn to trust in his sovereignty in something much bigger than politics. And so we've had a fantastic ride over the last 18 months. But I've been so encouraged as I've just watched your faithfulness to gathering around the word and to each other, your love for one another in the midst of the pandemic and everything that goes on in our day. So keep going, saints. I appreciate it. And uh, the Lord is well pleased in you. Um, also, want to remind you, and I can do this because I'm not one of your pastors, but did you know that October is Pastoral Appreciation Month? Some of you may be learning for the first time, um, but they, I think your pastors, all of your elders will take gifts, handshakes full of cash are good, um, or you could just thank them for their labor and their care of you. And if you've got something to gripe about or something you feel like you can complain about, just hold off till November. That would be great. Uh, so Reservoir has been studying Galatians, and uh, as you know, this great letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches in what is now uh, modern-day Turkey is just this invitation, essentially, away from false teaching that was going through the churches as these traveling preachers would come from Jerusalem, and they were saying that you need to accomplish certain works to be a Christian. So Paul is saying, no, 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 no. And he's inviting them back into the heart of the gospel, the truth that they believed at first and that built the church at first, the thing that birthed them. And prayerfully, as it has served Reservoir Church in our study of the book of Galatians, hopefully just a little taste of it this morning will encourage you deeper into the gospel. So the 
big idea from the text that we heard read this morning is that the freedom of new life comes by the Spirit's work in our heart. So the freedom we're meant for, the freedom that is to define who we are in Jesus actually comes to us, our understanding, our grasp of it by the Spirit's work in our heart. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to dive into it this morning. If you join me, good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the declaration of the finished work of Christ in all of Scripture and especially in Galatians. And Lord, as odd as, odd as it may sound, we thank you for the occasion that required the writing of this letter because it's not just a Galatian experience where there's this temptation to trust in our finished work, but we Thank you that Paul spoke these things to the church that we too would be reminded back in to the finished work of the gospel. So help me this morning, Lord, that we would lift your name high alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So often the question comes like, what, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And some of us, we're still asking that question of ourselves, but I love to ask the young people in our church and little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Represents what they tell us usually represents their aspirations, their future hopes, and uh, which way the hearts of our young people are leaning and what they're inclined towards. And recently, some dear friends were over for dinner and they were asking, uh, especially my son Ewan, this very question. And as they were asking this little nine-year-old who loves history and maps and music what he wanted to be. I was struck by the fact that to some uh, large extent that I'm still asking this question of myself. I'm, I'm 43. If I had hair, it would all be gray. Um, but I still want to know, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And certainly, I'm not fully grown yet. As some of you can attest, I have some maturing to do. But when I, want to, when I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. Like, that's the good answer. That's the right pastoral answer. And it's fair to say that this is the underlying question of Galatians. What do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be when you are mature, when you are fully grown? What do you want to be known of you? And to those feeling just too young to flourish in the faith, too immature to understand how we are saved or live as Christians to churches that are troubled by the preaching of gatekeepers, making it harder to get into the faith. Paul says, essentially, in Christ, you are already grown. For breaking through into the freedom promised in Christ, into this inheritance that is ours, Friends, we need the Spirit's application of Christ's work into our souls. And the apostle wants his readers at these churches to realize and to take comfort in the, in the fact that the Spirit is already at work among them. And we come to the same realization in our day. And by Scripture, we are invited to this fullness of new life in Christ. And these verses, they come on the heels of a game-changing truth. And if we had been studying the whole book together, you would have rallied around it. But in Galatians 3, verse 29, Paul writes, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And 
the majority of the people in the churches in Galatia were Gentile believers. They were not raised in Judaism. They didn't understand the covenant realities of God and his people. And so when preachers would come from Jerusalem, having been Jews themselves and saying, actually, you need to be children of Abraham like we are. So you need to do what we do. There's a real lure then to follow that false teaching. But here Paul says, actually, if you belong to Christ, you are heirs of Abraham, his seed. And this is huge news if Paul, as an apostle, can be trusted. And given that this letter was revered and maintained as scripture, I think it's safe to say that he can be trusted. If by faith, you belong to Jesus, you are made a child of God, heirs, you are given a new family, given freedom, given transformation. That's where we say, amen, like, yes, like, that's, that's good news. This is what Paul wants them to get back to, to stay rooted in and to flourish from. It starts with this reality that for us, salvation is sonship. At first glance, the first verse in our text can seem a little concerning, especially if you've been following the ark, if you had read through this letter and you see what Paul's trying to do. He says, hey, good news, you are a child of God, but also you differ in no way from a slave. That's how he starts chapter four here. And we keep reading, though, from that moment, and we quickly learn that Paul is saying the slave-child comparison here is meant to be a way of letting those in Christ realize that they are actually spiritually grown. You're no longer under a guardian. Now, in ancient times, the process of coming of age, of being responsible, mature, and taken into account was an important and well-defined process. A Roman child heir was a minor under guardians until at least age 14, and then was still to some degree under uh, trustees until they reached 25 years of age. And not until then could the youth exercise this complete and independent control over his estate. And so this is what they have in mind. This is the scenario put before them. It's the truth that then and in Scripture, sonship is a legal reality. This could be applied to men and women as ladies, you're sitting here, you don't have to hear son and think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm just a good complementarian. It just must be my husband. But no, it's actually for men and women. It is that heir status, that family status. And this law gospel distinction, the law serves as a guardian to make humanity aware of our need for rescue, our need for something more than what we can do. In the same way, he says, when we were children, we were in slavery to the elements of the world, to sin, to earning, to pride, and even despair before holy God. But in the fullness of time, when time came to completion, something universe-altering took place. He says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So to come into our inheritance, our ownership, redemption is actually needed. Like we get into this inheritance by a redeeming work. And that is what Jesus delivers for those that belong to him. 
It's declared here, born of a woman, born under the law, our perfect representative that would live in our place and take our place in death on the cross, redeeming, buying back from sin and death, his people, those that believe in him. And redemption then slides into adoption, into a family, into a child status before our Father. And the, the weight of all the work that it took to get us there is uh, taken, all of it, by Christ. So adoption, it's a done deal because the Father says so. This had me thinking about my own family's adoption story. Maybe for those of you that we haven't met, I have three children. Our youngest is adopted, and it's a, she's a beautiful little girl, and uh, she's got quite the personality and keeps us on our toes. But as I was thinking about that, in light of the adoption that we receive in Christ, I was stuck, struck uh, afresh by this great grace of God, as is explained in Galatians 4. Because when my wife Stacy and I set out to adopt, it was for us and our other two children a start of a long and costly process. There were in-home visits. Maybe some of you have gone through adoption or foster care, and you know this. There are mountains of paperwork. There's just waiting and wondering, who is our child going to be? Then, then when all that waiting and paying and processing of paperwork is done, you go to another country to do more paperwork, to do more waiting and more paying out the cost to make it all happen. But then, you rejoice when they finally hand over your child and the rest of life begins. The great adventure begins. I think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. But our spiritual adoption is far more weighty and costly than even that. Because sure, it took a lot for us as a family to adopt, but I can't imagine going through that process and then instead of me going, sending my oldest child to China with the expectation that her life would actually be given so Adia could come home. That's the reality of what's at play with Christ. The father sends him to sacrifice himself that he could call us children. God's heart for us is so full that he sent his son to redeem us. Don't for a second miss that reality of how much you are loved by the Father to give himself for us. And by Jesus's work, we are saved. We are made sons and daughters forever, period. We're no longer under a guardian. And it's the son by his work who makes us of age. Tim Keller says our inheritance is not a prize to be won. It is a gift from Christ. We don't have to prove it. We are his. So sonship, men and women, heirs, you are in. There is no question of caliber or credentials. In Christ, you are part of the family on the basis of faith and nothing else. You have full rights and privileges there are no last rules to be kept or met to get an invitation to the banquet of the family. One writer says that Jesus says, acknowledge and accept who I want to be for you. 
a savior of boundless compassion, infinite patience, unbearable forgiveness and love that keeps no score of wrongs. Quit projecting onto me your own feelings about yourself. At this moment, your life is a bruised reed and I will not crush it, a smoldering wick, and I will not quench it. You are in a safe place. That's the reality of the gospel, the power of God to save. That is the truth that is declared, that bursts the church, that we rally around. And it is so good. The sonship is our legal status before God. And, and we have, nobody's standing up saying, no, Schrader, you're wrong. That's a little off because we have no problem with this. And I think, we especially have no problem with this if we can keep it in the realm of intellectual exercise, if we just have knowledge of it. If I can just know it. But the Father doesn't just leave it at legal. He has promised new life. And friends, it comes by the Spirit. The truth is the Spirit secures our sonship so when Paul writes here, the spirit of the son, who is this spirit? We know Jesus has told us, right, when he's speaking to his, uh, his disciples in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because if, he, if it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And later in that same conversation, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you everything I have told you. So Jesus making his way to the cross gives his final teaching and he says, the Spirit is coming the paraclete, a helper that will open our hearts and eyes to see the goodness of redemption, to shape and guide our life. So underneath all of the ramblings of the false teachers in these churches in Galatia, Paul is saying the Spirit had already moved in the lives of believers, and this is meant to be the anchor to their citizen status in the kingdom of Jesus. He's saying it's indisputable that you are in because the Spirit has moved among you. And all through this letter for them, as we mentioned, Paul is tying salvation to this Abrahamic promise. The promise of Abraham is actually realized by the Spirit. He'll, he'll say, Paul, he'll say, Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse in our place. And then in Galatians 3.14, he says, the purpose of that, of Christ's work, was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. Gordon Fee, a scholar, says, the promise of the Spirit is equated with the blessing of Abraham even though the Old Testament passage does not mention the Spirit, since the blessing of Abraham came in the form of a promise, this word is the one Paul uses throughout, throughout the argument in Galatians 3 to refer to the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. In a statement crucial to this argument, 
Paul says the fulfillment of the promised blessing for the Gentiles is in their having experienced the spirit as a living and dynamic reality. The blessing of Abraham, therefore, is not simply justification by faith. Rather, it refers to the life of the future now available to Jew and Gentile alike, achieved through the death of Christ, but applied through the dynamic ministry of the Spirit. And all of this is by faith. And it's what we're meant for in Christ, because there is a difference, friends, between knowing and experiencing the truth of the gospel. And to the Galatian Christian, Paul attacks the lame attempts to corrupt knowledge of salvation instead with the experience of salvation by the Spirit. Saying you have renewed hearts. You've been softened by the truth of the gospel. You have longing for Christ and for others. That is evidence that you belong to his kingdom. And all through this study with our church and as I've interacted and just seen the landscape of the church in our day, I feel like the Spirit is saying, you have known long enough. It's time to experience this freedom, to experience this new life in Christ. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Father sends his Spirit into our hearts, confirming salvation, sealing our adoption, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit applies our adoption and frees us to cry out to God with the humility and boldness of a young child existing in real relationship with our Father. Now, around our house, the kids, thankfully, never run into our room. They never pile onto our bed when they're in distress or something is wrong. Instead, they stay in their own bed and they just cry out, Mom! My son did this this morning at 5.30, right? And, and mom doesn't wake up till 8. So dad understands that to mean parent come. I tried to get them to cry out daddy so I would feel like I had some worth in the house, but I've not uh, achieved that yet. But I think about it, they can cry out when they are in need, when something has startled them or where they have a bloody nose or something is going on because they know mom is there. Her presence makes their cries worthwhile. And it's the same way for us with God. Because we are his children, we can approach him. We can cry out for help knowing that he is here with us. By his spirit, he is close to us, keeping us, confirming our sonship and security in Christ. We hear it in the epistle to the Roman church. And for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And I wonder if you've ever read that and you're like, oh, I, I would like that. This is what Paul is inviting us into here, just as he's inviting the Galatian churches to be reminded that they have this same thing, the same work of the Spirit. And friends, this is 
our way through life and its struggles, through the highs and lows, as the Spirit applies the work of Christ to our hearts and as He works transformation in us, we increasingly trust Him and expect He will, we know He will hear our prayers and respond to our cries because He's there pouring out the love of the Father into our hearts. Eugene Peterson, a a faithful pastor now with the Lord, says, Suddenly we are freed with God, like a child is free with a parent. We are not involved in stiff, formal protocols in relation to God. We don't have to be afraid lest we put our foot in our mouth or embarrass ourselves or get sent out of the room because we didn't use the right title. We can address God as freely as we address our parents. It is the kind of freedom that combines intimacy with reverence. We are still aware of the majesty and awesome glory of God. We don't try to reduce God to a level of coziness where we can manipulate him. The intimacy is a freedom to share ourselves, to express ourselves fearlessly in God's presence. We are free to be spontaneous, personal, and uninhibited. Faith is not a formal relationship hedged in with elaborate courtesies. It is a family relationship, intimate and free. This is what Paul says the gospel brings us back to when he declares it to the churches and to us. And it's made so by the Spirit in our hearts. I'm so happy for Rick. He, he looks more holy. He, you know, a master's of theology will do all kinds of great things to you. Right? So I, I'm really happy for you you and all of us that know things that study, but I think it's safe to say that we don't actually need more knowledge of our salvation, our adoption in Christ, but we need an increasing experience of it by the Spirit, to be reminded of it by the sweet work of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day to the point that this supernatural work that is described just becomes our natural way of life. And along with the Spirit, confirming it all the more with the miraculous, with healings, with removal of deep-seated sin and habits in our lives, or the prophetic, drawing children closer to the Father. This is all brought by the Spirit. It is the way that the church was birthed. It's the way that the Galatians could confirm they were already children of God. And in a stumbling world that is unsure of its next step, the Spirit is our way forward for the glory of Christ and for our good. The Spirit, friends, is our inheritance The Spirit applies our sonship. The Spirit brings us to life. It's time for us to let and to long for the Spirit to work in the church. The Spirit's presence in work is the vital evidence the Galatians need to realize that they are in Christ, heirs, part of the kingdom, as secure as Christ is at this very moment. They have the experience of, of the presence of God in their hearts, the spirit of the Son. They don't need circumcision or Sabbath to gain salvation. They can go on living in freedom of new life in Christ. And it's the same for us. This is a letter for you. Brennan Manning, the author in his book, Abba's Child, says, 
the Christ within, and that's, he's describing the Spirit, who is our hope of glory, is not a matter of theological debate or philosophical speculation. He's not a hobby, a part-time project, a good theme for a book or a last resort when all human efforts fail. He is our life, the most real fact about us. He is the power and wisdom of God dwelling within us. The freedom of new life comes by the Spirit's work in our hearts, saints. Would you be so bold as to ask the Spirit to apply your sonship, that sonship that we have in Christ afresh in your heart? To free us to new life that we would experience, not just know of our inheritance, but experience our inheritance with joy, exuberance, and expectation that we would pray, come Holy Spirit. And if you're here and not sure of the Spirit's place in your life, friend, grab hold of this redemption that is promised in Jesus and his work for you in his life, death, and resurrection and trust in him for salvation. Because if you trust in him for salvation, you have the Spirit at work in your heart. We were once slaves to sin and the elements of the world. Those things determined to keep us from our creator and real life. But God, while we were still sinners, sent his son as a demonstration of his love for us, his heart to make us children and give us eternity with himself. Reflecting on these truths, our hearts cannot sit still. We are moved with wonder as we consider the great lengths to which God has gone to comfort his people. He has sent forth both his son and his spirit. The son objectively to rescue us eternally from the penalty of sin and the spirit subjectively to rescue our attitudes and actions in daily life. The work of the son is outside in an alien righteousness. The work of the Spirit is inside out in the experience in which we cry out, Abba, Father. The freedom of new life that you are meant for, that you are invited to by the work of Christ comes by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Friends, in Christ, you have come of age. You are fully grown. Rest in your sonship and let the Spirit have full reign over your heart to experience this newness of life, that you would be forever changed and that Christ would be glorified. Would you pray with me? Lord, your word makes some bold claims. that you would rescue sinners, and in the fullness of time, you would come, give of yourself, and by that work, make us children, heirs according to the promise. Lord, you didn't just leave it as a factual reality. You gave the Spirit of your Son, the Holy Spirit, that he would apply that finished work to our hearts and give us the experience of salvation. The fullness of life that you say is ours. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to work that in our hearts anew today. 
as we cry out, we know, Father, you are near by the work of your Spirit. That you will answer our prayers. That you will bring the transformation that you've promised. And you will make us more like Christ. So that when we grow up, we will be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends.